episode of Fermented Adventure is brought to you by Fermented Adventure. Dawn, we have a new shirt design. We sure do. Dawn, what's our new shirt design? I have mixed drinks about feelings. Now, I have mixed drinks about feelings. How do people find I have mixed drinks about feelings? They go on our website at fermentedadventure.com. They can click on the apparel tab and it'll take them right to our merchandise. So click on the apparel tab. They'll find our brand new shirt design and they'll find other shirt designs as well. Other shirt designs as well. We have tanks, tees, hoodies, glasses, a bunch of different things. And we can still find tequila or cerveza made me do it as well, right? You can find that there as well. And if you want to be fashionable through the rest of the summer, we also have some podcast shirts for people to wear and enjoy going around and saying, hey, you listen to the Fermented Adventure podcast too? Yes. And don't forget our May Contain Whiskey shirt too. So go to FermentedAdventure.com, click on the apparel tab, buy the merchandise. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. He's Brendan Rollerson. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here. And this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. And today we're going to be talking Glenn Murray. And Brendan, I'm so excited we... You know, these little bottles of, of deliciousness have come via UPS, and we get to sit down and talk Glenn Murray today. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So talk about Glenn Murray. Now, I'm from Philadelphia, and uh, you know, here in Philadelphia, we would pronounce that Glenn Moray. Talk about Glenn Murray and how all that got started. Yeah, so I mean, Glenn Murray's a distillery that's been, uh, been going since uh, 1897, so um, on and off in the same location in, in Elgin, which uh, sits right at the heart of kind of the Speyside region for Scotland. Um, and they really kind of made their bones um, about trying out different kind of uh, wine test finishes. And so, you know, that's really what I hope we get to showcase today and some of the samples I sent you. You know, it's just a great distillery that's, you know, kind of pushing the boundaries of what we can do in maturation um, while maintaining that just very classic uh, true form Speyside style. Now, we met at Bar Convent, Brooklyn, and I'm curious, from your experience, what was the feedback like there? What was the um, you know, follow-up as, as people visited your booth and you got to introduce? I mean, I, I had, you know, this is meeting with you. That was the first time I had Glenn Murray. Talk about that experience for you. Yeah, so, you know, the, I, I started working with this brand um, about a year and a half ago, and really the... The idea behind that was, you know, what can we do to really start pushing Glen Murray and get it, get it kind of into people's 
perspectives and, and get it kind of into that Scotch lexicon with people because it's a phenomenal product, but you know, Scotch is such a saturated market, right? And especially when we're talking about some of these wine cast finishes, you know, um, there might be some apprehension just reading a bottle and saying Cabernet cask or Chardonnay cask. And, and so, you know, we really wanted to tackle, okay, how can we, how can we kind of get this into people's hands, get them tasting it and actually, you know, get, get that brand exposure out there. So this is my first year at BCB. We participated last year, um, but I was, they had shipped me somewhere else. Uh, I was doing a, a, a different whiskey festival somewhere else for that week. So this is my first year being there. And um, I mean, it was great. I think just kind of the camaraderie, everybody getting in a room together um, is so invaluable, especially to be able to do it over a couple of days. Most of these whiskey festivals are, you know, a couple hours, you're in, you're out. Um, everybody's kind of rushing to, you know, get to the booths they want. And sometimes it doesn't leave space for exploration. Um, so I think, you know, BCB was great because, you know, it was over three days. It felt like a week we were there. Um, <laughs> And I think it gave everyone time to really walk around, sit down, have conversations instead of, you know, trying to get, hey, I, I got to get through this booth because there's a line over there that I got to get through to get to that whiskey. Um, it really opened up the the potential for conversation and, and, you know, getting to know people a little more and actually getting a little in depth with the brand instead of, you know, outside of uh, that 30 second elevator pitch that I have down in my sleep now. For some of these festivals. I'm curious, what's the 30 second elevator pitch? Let me hear that. Oh, okay. So it's tough because usually I've got my booth in front of me or, you know, all my bottles and stuff. Folks will come up, you know, I'll say, hey, this is Glenn Murray, the Spaceside Distillery. Everything on the table is non-peated outside of this bottle right here. That's where I hold our peated iteration to the left of me. Um, everything starts in ex-bourbon barrels. We have two ranges. We have our classic. The classic range is all non-age statement. Starts in ex-bourbon for an average of six to seven years and is finished in a variety of different wine casts for eight to 10 months, respectively. Then we move over here to our heritage range. That's going to be all of our age statements, the 12, 15, 18, and 21. 12 years spends its entire life in ex-bourbon barrels, very, very classic to the space side, traditional uh, flavor profile. Our 15 years spends life in two different barrels in sherry and in ex-bourbon barrels. And then we have our 18, which is non-filtered, 100% first fill X bourbon barrels all the way through, proofed up higher. And our 21 is the extension off of that. 19 years in first fill X bourbon barrels, two years, and a combination of season port cast and port pipe. I'm, I'm, if, if there was a <laughs> if there was an award I could give for 30 second pitches, you nailed it. That's that's like the all the judges are given tens for that. That's tremendous. <laughs> and that's in my head. I like I said, I say it in my sleep. I say it a million times that you know. Whiskey Fest and Whiskey X, um, but it's great. I mean, it's great. We have a huge range. Some of these festivals all have upwards of 10 to 11 bottles on the table um, of just different skews for people to try. So it's great to kind of have what I like to say a menu uh, for people. We've got a range, you know, our classic range is really kind of non a statement and driven for new consumers. Maybe people who are a little um, hesitant to get into the Scotch world or haven't had a great Scotch experience, you know, um, we kind of offer a variety of different things to say like, Hey, does this pique your interest? If it does, let's get in here and try it. And, uh, we can go from there. And then, you know, we've got the age statements and heritage grain and everything there is, you know, done very thoughtfully and, and, you know, in its own different way, it's not just an age statement straight up, you know, everything is done kind of unique to that own, that, that individual view. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's all done very purposefully. And, uh, there's some great, great whiskeys between those, uh, 
those uh, 10 on the table that I think anybody will be able to walk up and enjoy something. I don't want to gloss over this, but you spoke to the origination of the distillery of 1897. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of rich history that has emanated from that beginning to where we are today. Can you talk more about the history of the distillery, some of the family, um, and and just, I think that when people understand how what is in the bottle got here from the start to where we are today, you know, roughly, I think there's more of a connection to what that liquid that they're now enjoying, that that, that whiskey, that juice, that that expression that they're enjoying so they can make that connection. Yeah, of course. So, you know, starting early, like with most of these uh, distilleries, it, it originated out of a brewery. Um, and so, you know, in 1897, they, they established this Glen Murray distillery. Um, again, it sits right on the outskirts of Elgin. It's the only distillery there. What's beautiful is, I mean, I think when we were there last September, um, you could walk, uh, I think, 10 minutes down the road and you're, and you're inside the Gordon and McPhail store. So, I mean, it's just like the area is so rich and just kind of like what Scotland and, and, and Scots really, you, you just feel it while you're there and, and at the distillery. And, you know, even even as early as the early 1900s, they were at that time, what they called mellowing. This is before we started uh, with with maturation and secondary maturation, double maturation, all of these terms that we see on bottles that are littered across the shelves at our stores now. Um, they're using mellowed. And even even that early, everything was was going into Chardonnay or Chenin Blanc barrels because it's kind of what was available and, and what they had. And, um, you know, the distillery has changed hands a handful of times. It's been on and off in that time. Um, I'd love to say that it was, you know, since 1897, you know, consistent nonstop distillation. But, you know, there's been some breaks um, until recently, you know, the La Martini Caspar Ney brand or, or group uh, took over Glen Murray from, uh, I believe it was still housed under LVMH at that time. And, uh, you know, they really kind of took advantage of let's building this out and really kind of hearkening on those roots. Let, let, let's do a lot with these barrels. We have our um, our warehouse one on site. And that really is where we house all of these like incredibly interesting and unique and experimental barrels. And when you walk in there, you can get lost for hours just walking up and down the rows and, and, and looking at the different barrels that are in there, you know, um, peated red wine casks and uh, giant port pipes and sauterne barrel. I mean, it's just, it's really, it's really interesting being able to be there and just kind of see where the creativity lies and, and um, none of that, I guess, kind of the willingness to experiment. And I think that's really why I love this brand. You know, we've got our core range, the things that are available every day. Um, but then, you know, the distillery usually do, does about three distillery only releases every year. Uh, last year it was, you know, a Barolo finish. I want to say uh, a Tokai barrel and, and I'm blanking on the third, but, you know, they really are not afraid to push the boundaries and harken back to those roots of, you know, hey, let's let's mess around with a lot of different wine barrels and see what comes out. It might not be good sometimes um, or sometimes it might be um something that a very select amount of people really find great and, and, you know, others, you know, it's kind of love or hate, but I appreciate the willingness to kind of uh, risk it and, uh, and put it out there just to say, Hey, you know, we love it. Do you. Understanding that personality that really emanates from the distillery. Where does that come from? And it sounds like that was the origin. Is there some sort of a philosophy 
that is there? Or do you think it's just a culture that just, you know, just was determined to be, this is what kind of, uh, you know, distillery we're going to be? Yeah. You know, I don't just, you know, speaking with them and my time there, it doesn't seem like it's kind of this like defined rule. It just seems like that's something that they do. It's kind of built into the ethos at Glen Murray of, you know, we're, we're going to experiment with wine casts and we're going to stay through to the space side, the space side style. Um, and so it's great when you do a tour there, like, you know, it, it doesn't, again, it doesn't seem forced. There is no kind of advert going on while you're there. You're kind of just there to experience the distillery, um, walk the warehouse, ask questions and really just get kind of like these thoughtful answers where, you know, the ethos is really wrapped up at, you know, everyone that's there, this is what they do. They're at Glen Murray. You mentioned the Speyside style. For those that are not familiar with scotch, maybe bourbon drinkers or maybe Japanese whiskey drinkers, what would be defined as the Speyside style? You know, so it's so tough, right? Uh, I think scotch regions used to be a lot closer to, you know, how, how we see wine and, you know, terroir driven, not, not necessarily terroir driven, but you knew if it came from a certain area, it would have these kind of flavor and, and, and flavor markers, so to speak. Um, anymore, I mean, goodness gracious, we're having uh, non-peated Islas that are absolutely selling crazy in the market and we're having peated Speyside. So, you know, it's, it's all kind of wild now, but I think when you think of the, you know, the traditional Speyside style, it would always be kind of like fresh, ripe fruits a little bit. I always got, you know, this kind of honeyness or even honeysuckle with a little bit of vegetable in it. Um, so, you know, unlike Isla where you know, heavy peat or, you know, some of these other territories that would have kind of more defined flavors, you know, grassy earthiness, I think, you know, Speyside just, you know, traditionally just had this kind of like fresh fruit, very, very fresh, very easy, very bright whiskey. You talk about the terroir and I guess the important thing that is always going to be consistent with like a, with Glen Mary is going to be the grain where they're sourcing from the farms, which are close by in that region, the, you know, the, the movement of air through the warehouses with the barrels, the water that they're using. So there's always going to be that consistency that probably is pronounced in their personality. Sure. You know, and it's funny when, when we were over there, we have our global brand ambassador, Ian. And um, one thing I really took away from him um, and kind of their mentality at, at Glen Murray for whiskey making is, the idea of flavor being developed in two places, in distillation and in maturation. And by distillation, you, you know, the shape of your still, what's really the quality that's going in, what you're pulling off the still, all of those kind of nuance, you know, numbers and items, and then maturation, you know, where are you getting your barrels and, and the quality of the barrels? And I really, it, it was so interesting to see him break it down. I don't want to say that simply, because uh, we all know it's not but really to kind of define those two regions, right? And so for us, we have, you know, everything's, we, we source all local grain, which is incredible, um, just to keep, you know, that, that local kind of spirit in the, in, in the bottle. You know, we have the river, we actually use the, the river Lossie as the water source as, as opposed to the river Stay, but that's because it literally runs through and around the distillery. It's, it's right there. It, it would be, how odd would that be to just yeah, go somewhere else when <laughs> yeah. you got it in your backyard, right? <laughs> yeah, it'd be silly not to utilize it. So, right. you know, yeah, I think, I think most when, you know, if you want to use the term terroir when you're talking about Scotch, I think it's more so kind of, uh, I've said this word a lot, but like the ethos of the area that you're in and making sure that, you know, um, you're kind of 
capturing that. I'm glad you touched on the distillation process or the size or type of still. And I think that that distiller who is working to get the most out of those grains, that fermented juice, that's important. And Mm -hmm. it's not just the barrel and it's not just where that water source comes from, as you said, it's, it's everything together. How is it for the distillery? Are, are you able to talk about with Glenn Murray, you know, just sourcing, you know, where these barrels are coming from and, and, and are they still readily available? Where is the distillery with, as those barrels get older, how they're still imparting flavor into what is being mellowed, which I like that. Sure. I mean, uh, you know, the, the kind of the specifics of where barrels come from is, is always a, uh, a touchy subject, um, so I, I can't get into that too much. But you know, there is, and unfortunately, we weren't able to go when we were there last September. Obviously, it was kind of right, right at the the tapering off of kind of that that first big COVID push. Um, Scotland had literally just opened up, and we booked our tickets to the, to the U.S. and we booked our tickets like two weeks later and and went. I mean, it was quick. So we had an appointment to go to the Cooperage, uh, which is about forty minutes down the road, where that makes. Uh, all the barrels for Glen Murray, but um, unfortunately we couldn't go there. So I didn't get to see that in person, but I do know that there is, you know, just being there, the utmost care being taken of these barrels because, you know, it really, they are so vital to the final product and what goes in the bottle. Um, And especially when you get into the warehouse one and you see some of these, I mean, without any specifics, some of these wine barrels, for example, that they're sourcing. I mean, when you know the producer that's making that wine, and you know the cost of just a single bottle of one of those wines, you can imagine the cost of just use, like recovering and taking that barrel and bringing it over. Um, so there really is just, I think, a lot of thoughtfulness done. I think what what we're, what the distillery is lucky for is with kind of that La Martini Cast Bardenay connection and them being a wine negociant in France, um, they, they have those doors open to a lot of these wineries. And I think that that, um, that's a huge advantage that they take. Uh, they readily take advantage of in uh, at the distillery because you know everyone's trying something different right now. Everyone's trying to move the needle in some way, and um, there's there's a lot of great whiskeys coming out. So you know it's it's tough to stand out, and um, to do that, you I think you have to be thoughtful and purposeful with what you're doing at every step. When you express and you explain that whole treatment of barrel and the sourcing of some of these barrels themselves, I think that gets me more excited to enjoy and understand what's coming out of that bottle. And it makes me more curious to want to see how that was all put together. The extent of your knowledge is tremendous in whiskey. How did you get started in whiskey? (laughs) Um, yeah, so, you know, I mean, if you want to go back to those college days or if there was a pre-college day or, or, you know, exception, I don't know. (laughs) Sure. I mean, I think, you know, with a lot of people in this, in this industry, I started very, very young. I was 15 making pizzas in high school and that was kind of my, uh, indoctrination into the hospitality industry. Um, you know, went to college, kept working in, in restaurants, doing everything from washing dishes to, uh, working in a kitchen and, you know, a high-end steakhouse and, kind of everything in between. Eventually I moved to front of house and, and into management and got, got my turn behind a bar. And that's when things I think kind of opened up. Um, I got to take that, that experience that I'd learned in the kitchen and, and learning under some excellent people and 
and kind of le learning the idea of flavors and, and, and profiles and how everything can work together. And um, it was, you know, not unique to me, but pretty unique that I got to bring it in, into front of house, move from back to front and uh, start bringing that into some cocktail ideas I had in, in a bar program that I was putting together. And eventually uh, those hours got brutal, <laughs> as, as anyone knows, working in the industry. So um, I moved over, started working with Diageo's, my first job into like kind of this side of things. I worked with the whole portfolio, um, you know, everything from their vodkas to their to their scotches. Um, worked with the distributor. I kind of been trying to do everything I can in this industry. Um, but the big thing I found at the distributor is kind of what what I like to call that continued education. So, you know, I started doing my W sets. I started doing, you know, kind of any education training I could um, to learn more. And, you know, I've got a stack of books um, outside by my bar and all over this house. So just, you know, trying to understand a little more every day about not just whiskey, but spirits in general and um, in the industry in general. And, you know, just kind of that strive for learning more and more and more. <laughs> I think that comes out that you have that vast amount of knowledge, but it's it's that you want to continue to learn, that you want to know more. That's what resonates with me. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I, I, I feel like I'm just even scratching the surface of what I could know about Scott. Um, you know, there's I'm reading a book right now, Proof, that, you know, kind of giving me a little more insight to, I think, kind of the science behind distillation. Um, and I'm hoping to learn a little more about that. That's not my strong suit. I definitely... Uh, Definitely prefer drinking it and uh, telling a story about it and, and, and you know, spinning a yarn, so to speak. But um, I think it's cool to push your boundaries and try to figure out, you know, the science behind it and, and maybe why those fellow, uh, you know, being able to talk to a bottle and understand a little more why those flavors developed in there outside of maybe just what barrel it went into. To me, that's fascinating. And that's a good place to start for I've got four bottles in front of me. Mm -hmm. Which bottle would you suggest that we choose first? Well, so I always like to, from that, from that run, I always like to start people with the classic. Um, everything else in that pack um, is kind of built around the classic. So this is, this is our starting point right there. So kind of, you know, when you heard me do my, uh, my quick pitch earlier. Yes. <laughs> the classic I, was, is... I was taking notes. I was still at the, <laughs> the first one. So the classic starts off what we call our classic range. So all those all those whiskeys you have there are going to be non-age statements. So it starts with the classic, and then there's four other uh, wine finishes. I think only three came in the pack. The Chardonnay was released a little later after we had put those together. So that one wasn't included. Um, but so we start with the classic. And again, non-age statement, this is a relatively young whiskey. This is going to spend its entire life in ex-bourbon barrels. The majority of those will be first fill. But I think... You know, we look at this a lot of times as this is kind of the closest outside of actually being at the distillery and throwing a glass underneath the still. This is really the closest we get to our new make and the kind of expression of the new make. Um, so, yeah, lightly aged. Again, I'd say about six years, seven years on average. Um, but a versatile whiskey, uh, great for cocktails, great to drink alone. Um, and Really why I love it is it's not price prohibitive. You can walk into the store and get this usually around $30. Um, and that's for a single malt. And I think it gives people the opportunity to uh, go, you know, maybe I haven't had a single malt before. I want to give it a go um, without having to drop a lot of dollars. 
Um, and again, it's just a great representation of Speyside. To your point, I think this is a wonderful introductory whiskey where it's an 80 proof. Yes. Yeah. All everything we'll have today will be 80 proof. It's approachable. The nose on this, even in the few seconds that we've been discussing, has opened up. It's transferred. It started fruity, floral. Um, there was a nice, uh, really. Uh, I, I was trying to like start start to pinpoint some some fruits in the in the note, as you said. I mean, I, th- I think there's this honey note to it. There's this there's this sourness almost that comes through on the nose as well. Sure. Yeah, and then it opened up, and you start to get that barrel in the nose. So even if this is something that you may not have had a scotch before, this is a good place to start, I think. And you're not going to be disappointed even with your first nosing experience and not even not even drinking. The, the, the color is just wonderful. It's almost like this wheat, but a little bit darker on, on the color, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I do say with the color, it, it really is almost it kind of elicits that honey to me. When I look at that it. honey punches on the first sip, doesn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's even the earthiness when you get that, uh, the, the botanicals of the honey that really comes through. Where does that really, is that the barrel? Is that the yeast? Is it proprietary secret? You're not allowed to tell me. You know, I think, I think it's a combination of everything, right? So even, even when we look at our stills, um, you know, by no means do we have the sort of stills in the area. We all know who that, that belongs to out there. Uh, but we do have relatively shorter stills. So we allow some of those heavier compounds, those oilier, fattier compounds to come into the new make. And even, you know, at 40 and even after filtration, you still kind of get, I mean, for 40 proof, you're still getting a decent amount of texture. It attaches to the palate a little bit. Um, and yeah, it's like bright honey notes. And it's just, you know, that's, that's I think it's just the malt really speaking for itself. We love if you know and if you know us as fermented adventure we love mead and Mm -hmm. this is probably the first scotch i think i can really connect in saying if you love mead this is almost a mead drinkers whiskey because there's so much honey to this there's really i I love it and you talked about the mouthfeel it almost has that viscosity of uh of a honey syrup to it it lingers, and then you get the spicy notes, the ethanol that comes through. Mm-hmm. I could sip this all day, and it's 100 degrees here. I don't know how it is in Florida right now, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty hot, I'll tell you that. I mean, it's 100 uh, degrees, but you can you can really enjoy this, and if you want to... I mean, I, I'm not a big ice cube person, because I don't want to dilute... For me, I don't want to dilute that purpose that's coming out of the bottle... For you, you mentioned one important thing, cocktails. And you have an yeah. experience in cocktails. Talk about, you know, some cocktails that would be great with this. Well, so, you know, like we were just talking, right? It's hot out. It's summer. And that's that's the joke I make a lot with people is, you know, I'm based in Florida. So I'm tasked with something that's incredibly difficult, which is getting Floridians to drink Scotch in the summer. Um, because it's just so often thought of as a, as a campfire beverage. Um, but, you know... Everyone's doing highballs and they're doing them for a reason. They're super versatile. They're easy to make at home and they're great drinks. And one thing that I've been doing um, a lot is a, a kind of this classic highball called a Presbyterian. Scotch, soda water, ginger beer, and a little bit of uh, a lemon peel expression. Delicious, refreshing, 
I usually make them at all of the whiskey festivals we do. I have a little kind of a, uh, I took a, um, a beer keg growler that has a tap and is pressurized. And I've started using that as a, kind of my portable uh, cocktail on draft machine. And so at a lot of these events, yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll bash one of those up. Very quick, easy to do. It takes me less than five minutes to back up 64 ounces of this. Um, and I charge it up and I've got it ready to go next to me. Um, pour it into a glass, squeeze a little uh, lemon peel over top. And it's a great, refreshing, easy to drink beverage. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. What are the ingredient? What is what are the ingredient recipe? You know, if, if you were to make the recipe for this, so how much? Of oh, the yeah. So do do an ounce and a half of scotch. Okay. Uh, depending on your glass, just do equal parts soda water and ginger beer to fill okay. it up the rest of the way, and then uh, and then take a lemon peel and just squeeze it over top, so those oils kind of um, those oils come out of the peel and into the drink. Great aroma opens up with this bright freshness, and uh, yeah, put a straw in there and go. All right. I think I think that's going to make it into our cocktail um, rotation tonight since it is a hundred oh, degrees have one. It's so hot. <laughs> this too is hot. thank you. That's great. I mean, here's a you know, what I would say is I think that, you know, we are still in that people are making cocktails at home and would love to learn more cocktails that they can make. This is a great on its own. Just sip this and enjoy. And to your point. Yeah, I mean, campfire. But I don't think that if you have more of a mellow cigar, you can pair this and sit outside on the deck, even on a on a summer day, fall day. This is something that transfers to all seasons, in my opinion. For sure. And I think, you know, again, that's really when we talk about that kind of menu that we have of all these different whiskeys to try, you know, that part of that mentality is versatility and flexibility, right? Can we drink this year round? And if it's hot, can we put it in a cocktail? And sure, we can. Um I definitely, you know, especially with all the classic grains, I'm, I'm, I generally have a cocktail kind of ready to go uh, for each one of them because they are that versatile. And sometimes it showcases the, the liquid a little better than maybe just putting it in a glass and tasting it might. As we've been discussing this particular expression, what seems to open up more is you get the, the grain, the malt, the barley that comes through as it opens up. I think there's also some mintiness spearmint that lingers on the palate as well. That's just, that's just tremendous and delicious. So thank you for that. Which one should we enjoy next? Let's go to the sherry. Let's go to the sherry. And that is the only one I don't have with me right now. Oh, I'll tell you what it tastes like. (laughs) (laughs) So um, with the sherry, right, we're, we're taking that base of the Elgin classic and then it'll age for an additional eight to 10 months in Oloroso sherry barrel. So this is a finish. It's a decent finish, right? Eight to 10 months is, is it's pretty good. You're going to get that sherry flavor. Um, it's funny when I was talking about our, our heritage range and our age statements, you know, we have the sherry finish right here. And then we've got our 15 year, which is, you know, full maturation in these barrels, 15 years in, in, or, you know, in bourbon barrels and then spends whole life in sherry. And you get a, a massive difference when you're talking about the idea of finishing to kind of full maturation and, and those flavors really developing and being a little more nuanced. So this is great as a finish because really it's a cherry bomb. It's huge cherry notes up front. Um, and it's kind of all those classic cherry notes that you're looking for, right? Like I always joke with people. Um, most, I think, I think most U.S. drinkers don't realize that their palates are accustomed to, if not searching for cherry. 
when we look at kind of all those big single malt producers in the U.S., I mean, so many of them rely heavily on carry barrels uh, to impart a lot of their flavors. And, you know, whether the, the casual drinker knows that or not, um, this generally is something that they're looking for. So I always, you know, that's the question, right? Well, what do you drink when we're at these events? And, you know, if they stay kind of two or three of those big guys, I know, all right, we're going to start, we're going to start moving you over to an, our, our carry uh, our theory expressions because I know that's what you're looking for. Whether you know it or not, I know you're looking for theory. What I can share with you on this, and overall, my experience with sherry cask finishes, they leave me slightly disappointed. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, I want to search for that sherry. I, you know, if you put sherry cask finish on the bottle, I, I want there to be a representation of the spirit and the sherry. And overall, I find myself disappointed. I am not disappointed with this at all. As you said, even on the nose, when I could smell it, I think one of the things that of value is when you start with the original Elgin expression, there's so much heaviness on the nose. I think all those molecules get, they attach to that. I mean, I don't want to get, you talking about, you're, you're reading the book Proof. I don't want to get too far in the weeds with you know, <laughs> the science of it. But I think when you're starting with a base spirit, and now you're attaching something else to it. That's the vehicle that's going to get the rest of it there. And right. on the nose, Sherry, I already know, hey, I'm getting something with Sherry. This is going to be delicious. As I sip it, there's that Sherry in the flavor. And that's what I want to have. Completely agree. And, what, and I think what's great is when we start with that Elgin, right? Um, you get that base and you realize that, that those kind of core tenets, right? The honey. A little bit of bitter chocolate um, and some some of that fresh fruit carries through regardless of the finish we're going to have. So knowing that as your base now with the cherry finish, you're just adding even more kind of bitter chocolate, even more baking spices, and now these kind of like darker red fruits instead of with the classic, which kind of came off as kind of like brighter, maybe like green apple or, or crisper fruits. So I think you know it's great to kind of be able to walk through on a flight. And that's really important. I think there's a lot of times where people, you know, if they go, you got to pick one for me. One, that's all I'm trying. Why do we always have to pick one? (laughs) I know, I wish. And just sit here and hang out for a minute. But, you know, that's, we got to be, you know, in that scenario, I've got to be a little more conservative in my my choice because, you know, I don't want to start you somewhere, maybe say our, our cab cast finish, which I think is phenomenal. But if that's not something you're used to, I don't want you to, I don't, I don't want the brand to be painted in your mind based off of that because it's the first thing you had. So it, it can be difficult, you know, when, you, when, when you're doing these events to make sure that people kind of understand, you know, if you're going to have one that I'm going to, I'm going to point you to either the classic or probably our 12 year, because those are just kind of staples. They're the staples for us. They're very straightforward. They're a great representation of, of the brand. But if you got time to sit down and try a little more stuff, um, that's when we start getting into the in, into the more interesting and we start really kind of developing, you know, what, what your palate might be and, and, and how we fit in there. You made a number of really great points and things that stood out with what you just said is number one, especially with how you're proposing people start to be introduced to the Glen Moray brand if they've not had it or some of the other expressions if they've not had them. It's hard when you really need to slow down 
and you need to do what, you know, what we're doing a one-on-one is, is, is a treat for me because I get to slow down. I get to talk to somebody that is very knowledgeable about the brand. I'm not already, all right, fill my glass. I'm already thinking about the next place to go. Mm -hmm. Right. And by the, you know, you know, after the first hour, how much can you drink where your palate isn't so influenced and shot anyway? Oh, exactly. And especially when, you know, when these festivals, you know, a lot of your kind of, I'd say your whiskey guys that come to these festivals with, uh, you know, their palates to the point now where they're like out searching for heavily peated things. So the odds are by the time someone gets to your table, you know, that palate might, might have been pretty blown out by, you know, hitting, you know, a heavily peated table um, or even, you know, some of these some of these bourbons, you know, and, and people are going and they're hitting, you know, cast strength and, and barrel proof. And, you know, that's, that's going to wear you out. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, the events are fun. Um, you know, if, if, if I sample 500 people, I'll have, you know, I'll have 50, 60 really good conversations um, with people who are interested to hang out and, you know, kind of stand to the side and we talk and we talk and we talk and I'm pouring for the people that just come up and want a glass filled. And, you know, that's, that's great. That's kind of worth it. You know, <laughs> you can't, can't have the expectations of hitting all thousand people that show up. You, but know, you never know. I mean, even if you, you know, think oh, somebody didn't care for it, they walk away. I mean, that could have been the best thing they had. It's just a personality that you might not see, you know, that sure. there's that connection. You also said something very important regarding, Hey, people start, when they think whiskey, the first thing in their mind, at least tell me if I'm wrong, they're thinking age statement. They're mm -hmm. thinking if I'm not seeing 12, 18 on a bottle, how good can it be? Exactly. And, and you know, is that something you find that when people come to, you know, like you said, either the basic or the 12 year? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's, it's that and it's the, uh, uh, the proverbial nail on a chalkboard for me, smoothness. Um, <laughs> You know, it's either they want to go for the oldest thing on the table or they, you know, the question is, well, what's the smoothest? Which is like relative big and <laughs> ambiguous question of, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's the smoothest to you. Um, but right, it's tough. So and, and that's what I try to explain to people, especially with what we do at Glen Murray, right, is it's not just the same spirit for 12 years, 15, 18 and 21. They're all done differently. So when people come up and they go, well, the 21, right, that's the best. I was like, well, are you partial to port? Because if you don't like port, you're not going to like this. This has spent two years in port pipe, which are, you know, like heavy flavor. You know, um, the 18, it's great. I love it. It's not where I would ever start somebody who has never had Glen Murray because I don't think it's an accurate representation of the rest of it. The 18 really does stand alone. It's 100% first fill X bourbon barrels, non fill filtered and bottled. Um, I want to say off the top of my head, I think it's 47.3. So it's a big whiskey. It's super dewy. There's so much barrel influence in it. You know, the, the only thing that had been in these barrels prior to the Scots was bourbon. They're active. They got a lot to give. And so is that an excellent whiskey? Of course. It's great. Is it the best ambassador for Glen Murray? Probably not. That'd be the 12 year. So, you know, those are the things that you kind of like, you know, if you got the time to talk to people and they want to listen, you can explain Sometimes, you know, you just got a group of 15 that come up and go 21 and they hold your glass at you and, you know, you pour a little lighter into their glasses for that because, you know, they're just going to slug it back and walk away. And that's okay, too. Um, 
you know, I think that's what I love about these whiskey events is there's so many different people. There's also so many different brands, you know, and I kind of love the camaraderie behind all of it. I love that, you know, I can take a break from pouring, you know, Glen Murray all night and walk over and, you know, just sneak a flavored whiskey shot because who cares? You right. know what I mean? Right. Like <laughs> we're there to have fun, like, and it's fun. And, you know, and think, I think, you know, what you're talking about with the age statement thing that kind of just goes in general, if we can put some of our, um, this is a whole, if we can put some of our, uh, I don't know, our biases behind us and just, you know, try something with open eyes every time. Um, I think you end up finding you enjoy a lot more things that you might've, uh, you might've pushed off because, you know, you had heard a rumor or, you know, you talked to somebody and they said, Oh, that wasn't good because they don't make it themselves. They buy the barrels in or, you know, just at the end of the day, man, if it's good in the bottle, then cool. <laughs> yeah. Because you've got, you've got blenders that go into that, um, you know, master blenders, you've got a lot of other components that are going to make the decision what is ready to go into the bottle. And, and I think that's important too. You, you, what you said is so valuable that don't get caught on a number. Yeah. Don't get caught even on a, a younger distillery because they're new. Now they may be buying juice from somewhere or they may be consigning the juice that's being made for them. They may be using smaller barrels. You just ne never know the talent that goes behind that, that's beyond and behind what they're making. So I think it's I think it's I think it's a great illustration that whiskey is not determined by numbers. Now there's a huge history that goes behind Glen Mary, but let's face it, they've been doing it a long time. But don't get stuck on a number. But you will have a wonderful experience as you become a brand fan, as you become mm -hmm. a, a value where that 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 brand becomes a value. You can say, you know what? I love this. I love this. I love this. This is great. All right, yeah, this is okay. But as I mature into those bolder finishes, those bigger, stronger whiskeys, you're going to appreciate it because you know where it starts from. Exactly. And I think you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of great brands out there right now that have kind of done the idea of age statement. And I'm a big fan. And you know, I love that we have our classic range that we're tasting through right now because it is all non age statement. And at the end of the day, it's just, hey, let's just try the whiskey. Let's not get caught up. The label does tell a story. It tells enough of a story um, to get us enticed. But if we're, if we're relying on the label to tell us everything instead of the liquid to tell us 90% of if this is good or not, um, then maybe we've jumped the shark on kind of the whole idea. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all right. So with that, which one should we work our way to next? Um, let's do uh, hmm. Let's do the cab cask and we'll finish with port. Okay. Now you said something very interesting. You were talking about people that come to you and say, what is smooth or what is your smoothest expression, right? So I guess I've never asked this or never wondered this, but what's the antithesis? What's the opposite of smooth? I mean, if you say I want smooth, what don't you want? I, you know, and I think what it boils down to a lot of time people use that term is Smooth to them means I don't taste alcohol. It's not harsh. It doesn't burn. Um, and again, that's, that's, that's all relative, right? And if you want something smooth, I'm probably never going to pour anything non-chill filter or high proof for you because that's not what you're looking for. And they go, oh, but isn't the 18 and 21 the smoothest? And I'm like, well, from what I'm gathering of your definition, probably not. <laughs> no, and you, it's you know, hard because what is hard. your definition? If you're saying smooth, right? What don't you want? 
I think that's like the, I think that's the interesting follow-up question. And somebody says, I want something smooth. Then to your point, is it just, you don't want ethanol? Do you not want the bite to it? I would ask, what don't you want? So I know what to pour you that you do want. I kind of always start with people and I just go, do you drink scotch? And if it's a yes, then I go, well, what do you drink? And they usually have a couple of brands they can fire off and got enough of a base around that, that I can kind of guide around there. And if the answer is no, then it's okay. Is it bourbon? Is it rye? Is it rum? Is it, I don't drink whiskey at all. And I don't know why I'm here. I get that a lot. And they just show up at the table and I go, I got you. I, designated I, have a cocktail right here. Yeah, I got a cocktail right here. You know, um, you know, you like something sweeter. Let's start talking port. Like we have something there for everybody. I, I firmly believe it at these festivals. So, you know, it's just a matter of how much information do you want to give me that I can, I can kind of start using a bit of deductive reasoning, right? My best Sherlock Holmes impersonation. It's just what whiskey do you want to drink? <laughs> a lot less steak. Changing your name, are you? It's, it's no longer <laughs> branded at Sherlock. <laughs> now, I get, again, on the nose, I, I get the, the barrel, the, the cab. I get the, it, the, the dryness to me that I experience always with that cab finish comes through on the nose and it comes through on the mouthfeel. Um. I'm always left, though, with wanting to have, when I think cab, I want those bold flavors of a cab to come out and be transferred. I feel that they're there in this whiskey. So one thing to note on this, and this is something that goes for our Chardonnay cast as well, is these are French barrels. So um, it can be a bit, a bit misleading, right? So technically, these are this is, this is finished in Bordeaux barrels. Um, so I always like to make that point because people see cab and then, you know, they start thinking like, okay, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to start looking for these big California Napa Valley cab flavors and a lot of this kind of like fruitiness. And it's not, this is, these are, these are old world French barrels. So I think you do get a little more of that minerality and, you know, it is, there is fruit there, but it's subdued and it's tannic, um, and you don't see a lot of a lot of well, you're starting to see it more and more. But you in in the past hadn't seen a lot of distilleries do a lot with still wines, right? Your fortified wines have always you know Sherry, Port, Sauternes. Now now we're seeing a bunch of people do Tokai, including we released one last year, um, Manzanilla, Madeira. You know a lot of these kind of like fortified, very rich wines, but you don't see a ton of still wines. And that's really when I get somebody to sit down and talk Glen Murray. I love to have him try the cab or the shard because it's unique. And I promise you, you won't try something that kind of hits the way this does. I'm so glad that you took me through that because you were in tune with my experience. I and my palate are expecting this boldness. That's what my impression is of what I think I want in that cab finish. Now you've transferred that to understand a different way of drinking this. And I appreciate that. So thank you for that. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that I've talked to them about, too. And I think it's just, you know, it's easier to understand if you saw, I think, CabCast than if you saw Bordeaux Cast finish. Um, I think just as a general American consumer. But, you know, when we get the opportunity to talk that and let them know, hey, this is a Bordeaux barrel. And when the shard, it's not a big buttery oaky shard. That's a white burgundy barrel. Um, people are a little more uh, apt to go, oh, okay. Those, from what I understand of Scott's, those do kind of make a little more sense together. And and, and, I will, and I will try it. But the cab to me is, you know, it's kind of a hidden gem. I think it's got good flavor. 
I think it's versatile. I think it's definitely, for me, a dinner cut. Um, you hit on that perfectly, and I was about to say that. This is something <laughs> that I could pair as, as dinner. And, you know, when in, instead of replacing or having a wine, I would say, you know, let's do this cab scotch with our dinner and mm-hmm. see how that plays with the food we're, we're, we're enjoying. But is it does it come down to branding that you would say Cabernet or Chardonnay versus Bordeaux in the label? Sure. You know, I think it's just, um, I think as a marketing purpose, you know, you've got to, especially for, you know, Glenn Murray, you know, this is a brand we're trying to get more into people's minds and, and get a share of that kind of space. And I think, you know, that's something that's easier for people to wrap their heads around is Cabernet and Chardonnay. They know those two things. You know, like I said, we did um, our distillery release. You know, we did a Barolo finish and that was phenomenal. But, you know, I don't know if, you know, how does a Barolo finish as a regular skew that's on the shelves everywhere? How does that move? Does it, you know, you know, what is the consumer understanding of what Barolo is and then what that would impart where, you know, cab and start just these two kind of massive terms that um, are also relative like smooth. People are always, no matter what, going to kind of impart what cab or star they drink onto what they expect these to be aged in. So, you know, I think it's just kind of, kind of marketing and that's why we're here and we'll take advantage of telling people, you know, kind of uh, a little more of the details behind uh, what those barrels are and and, and what we should expect from them. Brendan, you make an interesting point because I wonder you know, as trends go with whiskey as a Barolo finish, I, I wonder if just by seeing that with a trend in whiskey that we now, people are seeking out different, mm-hmm. not same. And I wonder if that puts you as a leg up and people would be more apt to try that than they would to say, ah, you know, I'm not familiar with that. I'm not, I'm going to shy away and I'm going to go for a term or a, a finish that I'm more familiar with. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, of course. People are spending a lot of money on labels. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, the, the label does sell. Right. And so that you do have to you do have to rely on people gleaning a good amount of information off the label. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of interesting as the market changes. And then I think, you know, even even how you compartmentalize the market and you go, OK, well, you know, with the classic range and, and what we view this as kind of like a great entry level point. Well, is the entry-level Scott drinker going to get Bordeaux or Barolo or any of these different wines or just cab make it go? I get that, you know, and, and that's, that's uh, people who have big degrees of marketing and, and, um, and you know, I'm sure that's what I say smarter people than analysis me. and, and uh, you know, focus groups. And I'm sure there's a lot, lot more details gone into this than, you know, what I just kind of think just from, you know, walking around stores and, and being in the industry. So, you know, I, I can never fault anybody for the decision that they come to because uh, at the end of the day, you know, it gets this whiskey into the U.S. market. And that's kind of what matters. Then from there, I, I'm just trying to make sure people try it and buy it. One of the uh, special places in my heart is anything with a port finish. And while yeah. we've been discussing about branding and putting different finishes on a bottle, I've been nosing this and just... You know, I, this is just wonderful. Even on the nose, I, I haven't I haven't tasted this yet. Again, what I can share from my experience and 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 replacing and repeating what we've done uh, prior at uh, at Bar Convent, um, 
I'm, I'm recalling the experience with just trying some of these expressions and how each one hits with what they say it's supposed to be. Full yeah, of flavor, important. full of body, full of experience, full of character. And you're not just getting something that people are just rushing something in the market. Because to your point, we just need to fill up shelf space and you know keep our lights on. That they want a quality product in Glen Moray that you're going to go back to over and over. You're going to gift to friends. You're going to talk about it. You're going to share it with people you know. Yeah, and and again, that's important. You got to kind of you got to build those loyal brand people. And you know, when we talk to the port, there's a reason outside of our 12 year of the classic range. This is our best selling in the U.S. It's a great dram. This is when we asked about barrels. This is the one that I'll give to you because it is a um, uh, in-house company. As we do get all of our port barrels from Porto Cruz which to my knowledge is the world's best selling port. Um, so, you know, great, great quality barrels. Um, I get this that one will, this one will go a little longer. This is going to usually be about 10 to 12 months on the finish. Um, but yeah, th this, for me, this is just absolutely a beautiful desserty. Um, I always explain to people, this is the this is the brandied cherry that you pick out of your old fashioned. This is lovely. And what I will share is I almost feel like, again, I'm drinking a port that's a whiskey. I'm not drinking a whiskey that's flavored with port, which a mm -hmm. lot of times happens at, oh, it's our port finish. Well, what'd you do with the port? Where did it go? <laughs> right. Well, it's been some time in a barrel that said port. I don't know. <laughs> it's it could have said you know port of you know port of Long Island. I don't know if that's a port, <laughs> right? But the barrel said port. We don't yeah, know it's somewhere on the barrel. It said port, right? But this is a port whiskey. This is whiskey that has so much port character to it. And as you said, like I can make an old fashioned out of this. I can. I would love to just you know soak some cherries in this and you know, just do some different things. And this is lovely. This is just wonderful. And I can see why you would, you know, say this is what you want to try. If, if you're, if, if you have a little time or you don't have time, this is where we're going first. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about cigars earlier. For me, this is out of our classic range. This is my cigar whiskey. It's got enough heft. It'll stand up, but it's not going to battle. It's not going to battle with the cigar. I think they'll, they'll complement each other pretty well. So um, yeah, the port, for me, out of this range, I, I adore this and um, love making cocktails with this. Um, it's just, it's again, as I get back to that same world, they're all very versatile. What still comes out, you still get the the barley. You still get that in the flavor profile. The, the chocolate notes come out. The, the sweetness of the port, it's all there for you. Now, all these expressions are available in the United States. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned prior to us, um, going on the podcast, you mentioned something that Glenn Murray is making specifically for the United States market. Yeah, we're really excited about this. So this is something that, you know, obviously, as we've talked, I've mentioned, we have these distillery releases. Um, and, you know, anyone listening, if you get a chance, go on our website, we have them all listed of uh, what we call our curiosity range, or our warehouse one range. And these are all things that you can really only get legally <laughs> in UK. Um or at, or, or at your home. <laughs> yeah. Or at your home. You know, I won't, I won't I your the websites. Oh, yeah. Or at my home. <laughs> TSA didn't, you know, we won't tell TSA how those got there. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, it's something that I think we pushed back and we said, you know, let's, how about something for the U.S.? So 
we're releasing um, a rye cast finish. Oh, wow. Uh, at really? The end of the year. So it'll start in bourbon barrels. It'll finish for two years in rye cast. Um, it's going to be a non-age statement, which again, as we were talking about, I'm a big fan of um, because we're just going to kind of let, let it speak for itself. Um, we did release a rye cast this year to the European market. The biggest difference between these two is the U.S. release is going to be bottled at 100 proof. So it's going to be 100 proof, two-year finished rye, uh, rye single malt. And I got to try, uh, they sent me over, it wasn't at 100, it was at 110. Wow, okay. Um, but they sent me a, a sample of it. Um, and I was just absolutely blown away, pleasantly surprised. The color was just um, non-steel filter, you know, this beautiful, just like light straw color. Um, the flavor was intense. The rye was, the, the rye cast, you know, spoke to it. Um, and I thought it was a great, you know, as we talked, you know, people are looking for something different. And so I think that this, uh, this will be a great kind of avenue for people to try something different. And, um, you know, I'm not a hundred percent on the cost, but I know that it's going to be, um, pretty value driven. I think, you know, it's going to be something that everyone's going to, um, everyone would feel comfortable grabbing a hold of a, a hundred proof, uh, to your finish, uh, in rye Scott and say, I'm definitely, uh, there's very, very little room, uh, for being let down. It sounds to me like this is one of those iPhone release things. So, uh, you know, people should start camping out in front of uh, their uh, <laughs> their establishment. Now, talk about, I mean, you're, you're released in the whole United States. Yeah, there, there aren't any states that are limited. Um, you know, there might be, uh, especially when we, I know you guys are in PA. So when we start talking about these control states, um, they can be a little difficult. I cover um, Pennsylvania, for example, and we have our um, our 12 year and I believe the, the port cast finish for the two that are readily available in, in ABC stores. Um, so it really is all dependent in, in most open States in Florida, you can walk into, you know, an ABC store and there's a whole section of like nine different, 10 different glimmeries that you could, you could pick up. Um, so it's all different depending on where you are and in uh, and, and the States. And that's why we go to New Jersey and Delaware. <laughs> exactly. I was just, it's funny. I was just up in, uh, I was just up working in New Hampshire and New Hampshire is like really tiny. Um, but they're one of the top selling liquor states because they sell everything really cheap and pretty much all of New England commutes into New Hampshire, buys their liquor and goes home. And Canada so, too. Wouldn't surprise me. In right? Canada. Yeah. So yeah. everyone kind of, so it's just like this great, just like transient liquor market of all these like travelers coming in buying in bulk and going. So, you know, it's uh, part of this job, you know, I've been so prior to this, I've really only worked in Florida as far as, you know, in the liquor industry space goes and uh, doing all this traveling and seeing all the different markets. It's, it's cool. And it's eye opening and how wild liquor laws are. Oh yeah. And we find that too with what we do. And, and, and sometimes we feel bad because it's so cost prohibitive for yeah. some of these distillers or these producers to really, I mean, they're making money, but they should be, it's, stop putting the restrictions on these people that are bringing commerce and, you know, a lot of tourism to an area that would no, you know, would not necessarily find people going to that area. It, it, yeah. It's just, it's so anarchaic, if that's a word, that I find it's, it's so restrictive. And, you know, you look at what's going on in New Jersey right now with the brewers, and the 18 points of restriction and the things that they're trying to control from these breweries, it, it's just out of hand. And 
these are people that are bringing people to little towns and areas mm -hmm. that would not normally go and they're they're spending money why why cut that off why why just so be so restrictive to that i don't know i think i think the biggest I, I, what's toughest is that all the states are so wildly different especially yeah. in the control world you know there is no kind of uh, general rule of operations. And so it, it does. It makes it difficult. I, I, I won't lie to you. Every time, you know, if I, if I, I was just in Michigan uh, last week, hey, you know, I get up there and I'm working with our distributor partners. And, you know, kind of my first question is like, hey, just give me a quick refresher of like what I can and can't do here. <laughs> you know, like, you know in, in this state, what, what can I can't do? You know, because in PA, it's different. In North Carolina, it's like crazy different. And then, right. you know, I live in Florida, which is kind of just like, go for it. You know, Hey, go, <laughs> here's the laws, follow them. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty wide open. So it's fun. It's a challenge, right? And, so what uh, I'm hearing you say is if you enjoy spirits and liquor and whiskey come to Florida, I don't know. Yes. And no, because <laughs> what I'll tell you is Michigan, man, like everyone, Michigan's a closed state, but all the stores are independently owned. It's, it's okay. a little funky, but all of those stores, you know, you go into any of these stores, they got six, seven store barrel picks. And some of these, some of these stores really know what they're doing. And you can find some really, really great barrels. And um, it's just, I, I've always been, every time I get up to Michigan, I'm always blown away by some of these stores I walk into that I'm just like, wow, <laughs> you know, like your selection's crazy. Um, your guys's picks are, in, are, are phenomenal. And, you know, they kind of learn to play the game. Some of these, you know, some of these smaller distilleries, you know, if you buy a barrel from them, you know, all of a sudden when they release their really cool stuff, you know, you're on their radar. Yeah, absolutely. When there's, you know, so many. So, you know, Michigan's pretty great. Florida, you know, Florida's big. Certain areas, you can find great selections. Some not so much. Um, Illinois, like Benny's, Specs in Texas, um, they always have, you know, excellent selections. So it's kind of, and I'm one of those guys too, where I'll drive around you know, if we're in an area and I'm popping in and even when I'm, I'm out working and, you know, we're stopping in these liquor stores after I'm done talking to them and we do our sales pitch and, you know, our deals and our handshakes and everything. Um, I walk the store and I try to find some stuff that, you know, I can't get or, you know, stuff that maybe they have on their shelf that they don't know is sitting there. You know, even I found in a place in Tampa, I found uh, a Glen Murray 12 year from when they were still housed under, um, uh, Glimmerange and LVM8. So, I mean, this thing's got to be, uh, I would say, pushing 20 years old, unopened. So I just bought it. And now I can, uh, you know, do a vertical tasting between our current 12 and, and what was happening then, you know? Yeah, and, that's and a whiskey like that. hunter's really cool. mentality. You you never stop wanting to experience something different, something new, find that bottle that is out there that, wow, I can't believe this is still on the shelf. Why didn't anybody else buy this, right? Yeah, it's, you know, and but I'm also, I'm, I'm so frugal. So it's got to be value driven. <laughs> I love, I love a good like clearance where I go like, why is this on clearance? <laughs> well, nobody bought it. I go, oh, I'll buy it. This is I'll great. Buy it. I'll take you know, it. Home. Nobody, you know, people it's didn't know, I guess. Yeah, exactly. People didn't know. So. Brandon, you mentioned a bunch of um, shows or events that you do. Are there some coming up that people can put on their radar and, and calendar that they can stop by and, if they haven't tried Glen Murray, they want to try some of these expressions, where can people find you? Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, literally after we get off this call, I'm going to start my packing. I leave tomorrow for Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans. So we'll be there all week. Um, and we have, if anyone's got, we have events lined up 
the whole week. Uh, not only working with Glenn Murray, I also, the same parent company on Cutty Start and, um, and, uh, an agricultural rum called St. James out of Martinique. So I, I, I do work with both those brands too. So we'll be doing a ton of events the whole week in New Orleans. Um, uh, hosted up at the Sazerac house during the day and then at night, you know, different spot events, different bars. Um, and then we've got a, you know, the Whiskey X and Whiskey Fest schedule. Um, we'll be at all those events. So Denver's coming up in September. Um, a great one every year was Whiskey X in um, Vegas. I'm not a huge Vegas person, but that event is phenomenal. Last year, they had this band, St. Paul and the Broken Bones play. They've got them playing again. Excellent band. Great time. Um, I, I highly suggest if anyone gets a chance. So if you do one whiskey, uh, whiskey event in your area that you can, I always suggest Whiskey X. They really do a cool event there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where we'll be just kind of bouncing around and bouncing different markets. I'll be back in, uh, I think I'm, I think the next time I'm up in PA, I'll be in uh, Pittsburgh, but probably in Philly later on in the year too. So I'm, I'm in and out. I'm everywhere. When you're in the area, definitely give us a shout as you've now become a friend of fermented adventure. Brendan, is there anything we haven't talked about on the podcast? Anything you want people to know? No, I would say, you know, um, we're pretty active on, on social. Um, either on the uh, Glen Murray USA page or my personal page, which is uh, Glen Murray underscore Brendan. Um, but follow that because we got a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipeline, um, not just this year, but planning out for next year. Um, and that's kind of been, you know, outside of doing things like this and in the whiskey festivals and, and other festivals, it's really been kind of the best way for me to get the information out on what we're doing and, and fun events and, and sweepstakes and, and giveaways and, you know, all, all of these things just kind of, I don't know, interact and, and, and uh, be a little more, you know, involved with the actual consumer instead of just kind of like this big, you know, Hey, this is just a brand. We really want to kind of, you know, I have a counterpart that lives in New York. He was at BCB um, Deanna and he's great. And he does the same thing I do just for the other half of where I don't go. And uh, you know, so between the two of us, we're really just trying to say like, Hey, we're normal people. Shoot us a message. <laughs> You're very us. normal. What makes you, know, you normal? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like talk to us. You know, we're not these kind of like these figures that you know don't want to talk about whiskey. That's what we're here for. Nah, I love you, you whiskey, love. So. You'll, you'll talk about yeah. whiskey all day. I can tell. And oh know, yeah, till your ears fall off. Yeah, no. But here's what I love, and this is for me. This is selfish because I learned so much today. I've gotten more knowledge, basically going through this. You know sample situation. I understand more. I become a fan. And people now who listen to the podcast, you know, look for what's out there for you. Try some of these, share these with friends. So thanks, you know, for your time today and all that you do. And, uh, you know, we, we look forward to seeing you again. And, uh, you know, when you see Brendan at the, uh, at the, at the cocktail event in New Orleans and, and all these other festivals, say hi, let them know you heard them yeah. on uh, Fermented Adventure, the podcast. And uh, don't ask for the 12 year first and don't tell me you want something smooth. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, you know, I, I appreciate I'm so glad we got to connect at BCB and, uh, and make this happen. Um, uh, this has been great. So, you know, hopefully next time I'm up and uh, are you guys closer to Philly or Pittsburgh? Uh, Philadelphia. Okay. So next time I'm up there, I'll, I'll reach out and hopefully if we have the, um, uh, if we have that Rycast gal, oh, yeah, we, we can will, get together, try we'll and maybe, maybe do a little, <laughs> yeah, you know, do a little refresher and let everyone know what we're doing with that. So I really appreciate the time. This has been great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you as well. Have a good Cheers. day. Uh, rest of your day. You too. <laughs>